Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning and happy Easter, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us here at Grace Crossing Church. Today feels like Christmas morning to me. I remember the night before Christmas Eve as a kid going to bed and how excited I was to wake up in the morning. And I can tell you that every year, the night before Easter, I don't sleep well. I am just so excited because it was around this time of year in 1981 when my life was transformed by the person of Jesus Christ. It changed everything about my life. It changed everything about my future. And I can tell you that this is the most exciting day for us here at Grace Crossing Church because today we celebrate what makes our faith what it is. Now, growing up as a kid, I did not celebrate Easter like this. Easter was kind of a glorified Halloween in my home, much more than a sacred holiday. So growing up uh, in a family with five kids, all ranged about six years apart, when it came time for the Easter egg hunt, we were dead serious about filling our baskets. We were dead serious about the candy that we were going to collect. And I can tell you a lot of Easter's were highly emotional for me, because as the fourth of five, I typically had one of the smaller baskets. You know, I didn't get enough candy. I didn't get and collect enough eggs. Well, as I think about the very first Easter, I think about how highly emotional it was in the narrative that we read. It was an emotionally charged day for those who knew Jesus Christ. For some, Easter was a day filled with disappointment. We read what happens the morning of the first day of the week on the third day following Jesus' death. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 2. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have put him. My wife is a teacher. My wife is also extraordinarily resourceful. So many years ago, she saw in a Christian bookstore an Easter egg story that told the story of Jesus Christ. And she thought, as a teacher, as someone who's thrifty, I got most of that in my home. I can create that. And she did. She made her own Easter egg story that we used with our kids, and she used it in Sunday school all the time with kids. And for the very first time this past week that I remember, she used it with our grandkids. And inside of the Easter egg story, there are 12 eggs. Each egg has some little trinket, some little emblem to represent the story of Jesus Christ that begins in the first egg with a little donkey. To commemorate Jesus' coming into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry, his final week, all the way to the 12th egg. And so the kids, the grandkids, were taking turns with the eggs. Each of them got to take a turn in order, except Landon. He didn't care what order he went in. He just wanted the orange eggs. That's the ones he wanted. When we came to the 12th egg, it was Shane's turn. Shane's our oldest grandson. And Shane picked up the 12th egg And unlike all the others, when he opened it, he looked at my wife and said, Nana, it's empty. 
And the look on his face of disappointment was priceless. Can you imagine what Mary and the others must have felt when they show up at the tomb to find the body of Jesus and find that he has vanished? They come to a tomb expecting to pay their final respects to the body of Christ, and the tomb is empty. For some, the very first Easter, it was filled with a lot of disappointment and a lot of emptiness. For some of you in this auditorium this morning, this Easter, is too filled with a lot of emptiness and disappointment. Your life today feels fairly empty. All of the dreams and aspirations that you've had in life have not materialized. And it's left you filled with some really hollow dreams, hollow ideas, and your life feels pretty empty. For some of you, your dreams of a family getting together at Easter have been shattered. And you're so disappointed in what your family has become because this Easter, you'll not be gathering with a family. Maybe you'll be alone this Easter. And it's breaking your heart. For some of you, you're dealing this Easter with an empty marriage. There seems no hope in your marriage. It feels so empty and disappointing. For others of you, you're dealing this morning with an empty faith. God has not answered your prayers, and it has left you disappointed with God and disillusioned in your faith. Well, I'm, if that's you in any of those categories this morning, my heart goes out to you. I'm sorry for what you're experiencing, and I can tell you this. Jesus Christ understands what it feels like to be disappointed. He understands what it feels like of what you're going through this morning. For some, Easter was filled with disappointment. For others, Easter was filled with doubt. The Bible tells us what happens following Jesus' resurrection. Matthew chapter 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain that Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Here's what's so remarkable to me about these verses and about the exchange that happens. For three years, Jesus had been preparing his disciples for their final exam. And he was telling them that there's only really one question on the exam that matters. It's the bonus question. Everything will hang in the balance on this question. Following my crucifixion, what is going to happen on the third day? He had prepared them for it. He had given them the cheat sheet. They had known everything about what was coming. And when push came to shove on that day, there is Jesus standing before him as he had promised. And the Bible says that even amidst his presence, some of them still doubted. Now that that ought to take a lot of pressure off of all of us in this auditorium this morning, especially those of us that have doubts. I believe every single person at times in their life go through doubts, especially doubts about faith. If you're sitting here this morning saying, I never go through doubts, not me, then I can tell you that you are just affirming because the very fact that you are doubting the assertion that everybody has doubts is the reality that everybody has doubts. Every one of us in this auditorium at times in our life begin to doubt, begin to question, Our life is a constant tension between disbelief and belief, between hope and hopelessness, between faith 
and doubt. I like the way that Brian McLaren, the author, actually captures and expresses this tension that we feel. He says, my faith isn't perfect and it isn't static. It is inaccurate in many places and out of proportion in need of continuing mid-course corrections. Therefore, it deserves to be doubted at times. Doubted so that it can be corrected. If I didn't doubt my faith, I would protect it, not correct it. Defend it, not amend it. Doubting my faith can be an opportunity for increased, increased faith in God. Faith is found and lost and found again at deeper and deeper levels. If you're here this morning in this auditorium and you're dealing with some doubt about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what I want to encourage you to do is to do what the disciples did. Matthew 28 tells us, they all worshipped him, but some of them doubted. I would submit to you this morning that doubt is absolutely necessary for the building up of our faith. Now, it may sound like a contradiction at first earshot, but let me explain. Doubt is essential when we exercise our faith. So whenever we exercise, which some of us know very little about in the auditorium this morning, but whenever we exercise, something happens in the tissues in your muscles. And what happens is the tissues in your muscles are broken down so that they can be built back up. I think doubt and faith work very much the same way. I think whenever we doubt, our faith is catabolized or parsed out so that it can be anabolized or built back up and restored. And I think worship is the exercise that makes the building and rebuilding possible. Sometimes in your life, you've got to worship your way through your doubts. Now listen, doubts do not eliminate, worship does not eliminate doubts. But what worship does is it energizes and strengthens your faith. And there's more. If we never ever doubted anything in life, every one of us here would settle for secondhand faith. You know what secondhand faith is? Secondhand faith is the faith that catches the tailwind of a mother or father or grandmother or grandfather or even a close friend. And instead of you simply owning your faith, what you do is you get in the tailwind of that other person and you assume it is their faith that's going to sweep you right up into heaven. Let me tell you, secondhand faith is a lot like secondhand smoke. It may not be yours, but it's still unhealthy. It's dangerous. It can harm you. And spiritually speaking, secondhand faith is extraordinarily unhealthy to us. And there's a story in the Bible that happens at the resurrection that illustrates secondhand faith. It brings us to the most important thing I want to say to you this Easter. You see, for some of us here, this Easter is filled with lots of disappointment. For others of us, Easter is filled with doubt. But for all of us here, Easter is a day of decision. 
John's Gospel, chapter 20, tells us what happens when Jesus appears to the disciples. Verses 24 and 25. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Talk about the wrong day to opt out of attending your connection group. He misses out on it, and here Jesus shows up, and he misses the most important connection group he could have ever attended. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and unless I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, Thomas gets a really bad rap from many people. But I think there's such a positive aspect of the narrative here that we often overlook. And this is the aspect. Thomas was unwilling to put his faith secondhand in Jesus. He was unwilling to embrace a secondhand faith. What he said was this, I want a firsthand experience with Jesus Christ. I want for myself to experience him. And because he said, I want to own my faith, he gets the opportunity to have that experience with Jesus Christ. Verses 26 and 27, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I want you to notice what Jesus says to Thomas. Jesus, first of all, says, getting rid of your doubts is not enough. You can eliminate every doubt from your mind today, and it will not put you in right standing with God. It will not put you in right relationship with God. Elimination of doubt is only the first step toward a relationship with Jesus. What Jesus said was, stop doubting and believe. There had to be the activation of his faith. There had to be the willingness to say, I'm going to own my faith. I'm not going to trust in someone else's story, in someone else's narrative. I'm not going to trust what I've been taught or what I've been told. I'm not going to put my faith in someone else's spiritual experience. I want my own experience with God. And let me tell you this Easter, every single moment of disappointment and every single moment of doubt and every single moment even of disbelief provides a corresponding moment of decision. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demands a decision. Easter requires that we choose to either embrace or reject the message and the story and the love that was expressed through the person of Jesus Christ. Notice the words that Jesus says following in verses 28 and 29. Thomas exclaimed, my Lord, And my God, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. That's good. Blessed are those who have not seen 
and yet believed. When Jesus spoke those words, he was thinking of April 16th, 2017 at Grace Crossing Church. He was thinking about you and I as we come together this morning that we are not going to be given the privilege that the early apostles were given. And yes, they are blessed because they saw. But how much more highly favored, how much more blessed are we that do not have what they had and yet we still engage our faith. We choose not to embrace secondhand faith, but rather we choose to own our faith and say, I want to cross the line of faith. And I want to place my trust in what Jesus Christ did for me. Some of you in this auditorium have never experienced that. And the reason you have never experienced God is because you've never embraced the resurrection. You've never placed your faith and trust in everything that Jesus Christ did for you. And it involves more than believing that he was born. More than believing he was born of a virgin. More than believing that he came and he lived for you. More than even believing he died on a cross for you. Faith in Jesus Christ requires that we make a decision about the resurrection. You say, how does that work? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 tell us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, say these last four words with me. You will be saved. Those are not my words. Those are his words. When Paul writes this to the Roman church, Paul writes to a church that had a lot of lords and a lot of deities and a lot of gods. In fact, every Roman emperor, every Roman governor, every Roman leader that had power and authority was to be respected and even called Lord by Roman citizens. That may not mean a lot to us here in the 21st century, but it meant a whole lot to those in the first century. When I was in Istanbul, Turkey, a number of years ago, I had the privilege of going down into some of the underground churches that met uh, during the times of the Roman Empire. And in these underground churches where Christians would often gather, and these were cities really underground And I'll never forget this one particular place I went where I was told that these Christians used to gather and worship. And there were not only these pillars, but there were these monuments, these images, these statues of Roman deities, Roman gods, Roman emperors. And what struck me as being so unusual is these particular statues were not destroyed, but rather they were simply turned upside down on their head. And I said to the pastor friend that I was with, I said, why did they turn these like this and continue to worship here? It said, because they wanted to remind themselves that every human Lord has to bow to the Lord of all lords and the King of all kings. And every time we gathered, we wanted to make sure that everybody knew our allegiance was to Jesus Christ. When God says that we must confess with our mouth he is Lord, it means we must turn on its head anything and everything in our life that is God for us. 
everything that takes ownership of God in our life. We got to say, listen, we got to turn it on its head upside down and make sure that it bows to the King of kings and Lord of lords. But that's not enough. The Bible says you've also got to believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead. Here's the deal. Your faith in and your response to the resurrection of Jesus determines your eternal trajectory. It determines whether or not we can become truly children of God. Because don't look now. God has no grandchildren. I love my grandchildren, but God has none. God only has sons or daughters. He only has people that have placed their faith and their trust in him for themselves. And I want to encourage you this morning to do that this Easter. Let's bow our heads together. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, in just a moment we're going to have several that come to follow the Lord in baptism. What a great day of celebration in this morning's service. But before we move to their decision to come and to identify and publicly celebrate with this body their decision to follow Jesus, I'm going to ask everyone with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're in this auditorium this morning, you have never placed your faith and trust fully in Christ, if you're not sure of that this morning, then I would encourage you, this next moment of prayer is for you. If you're in this auditorium and you would like prayer this Easter, you're saying, I want to cross the line of faith. I want not secondhand faith. I want firsthand faith. I want to choose for myself. And I want the blessing that Jesus promised for everyone who would believe but would not see with their physical eyes. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's you this morning, just a few seconds. Lift it up, and I want to pray if that's you. Lift up your hand if that's you this morning, and in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And I want to include every single person who's here this morning that want to place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And there are a couple, are there others, who would say, that's me this morning. Remember me. Pray for me. I want to cross the line of faith today. Father, make it real to our hearts this morning. We don't want the resurrection to be some ethereal, antiquated idea. We want it to be alive in us this morning. So my prayer is that as we watch and we celebrate with these that are being baptized this morning as believers in Christ, that God, you'll meet and touch each of our hearts. Draw us closer to you, we pray in Christ's name. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.